Road. I've not actually read this book, uh, but I was listening to a discussion about it this week. And to be honest, after hearing the discussion about the book, I don't think I ever want to read uh, this, this book. Because it is incredibly bleak. It is about a father and a son in this kind of post-apocalyptic world. We don't know what's happened, but something's happened. And it tells the story of how they survive. Having to find food. Having to flee from gangs of other survivors intent on killing them. It's bleak. And to begin with, the father is convinced that there is no God. How can there be a God in a world like this? And at one point he heads out as the sun is setting and experiences the emptiness of life. Listen, be on the screen. He walked out in the grey light and stood and he saw for a brief moment the absolute truth of the world. The cold, relentless circling of the intestate earth. Darkness implacable. The crushing black vacuum of the universe. And somewhere two hunted animals, talking about him and his son. Somewhere two hunted animals trembling like ground foxes in their cover. Borrowed time and borrowed world and borrowed eyes with which to sorrow it. The father looks into the heart of our reality. He sees absolute truth, a world without God, and it is bleak. Emptiness, relentless darkness. And the father feels like a hunted animal on borrowed time in a borrowed world, waiting for the inevitable, waiting to be swallowed up into the crushing black vacuum of the universe. Now, if this is your first time at Redeemer, I do apologise. It is Christmas Eve, and perhaps you've come with friends and family, thought, let's get into the Christmas mood, let's have a bit of, you know, joy, a bit of peace, the Christmas spirit. And here I am, talking about the crushing black vacuum of the universe. You're on borrowed time in a borrowed world. Happy Christmas. <laughs> but you know what? Christmas actually confronts us with this. The backdrop to the Christmas story is darkness. It's despair. One of the Christmas readings, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, just before the bit we read, has this. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. The people walking in darkness. The Christmas story asks us, what do you see when you stare into the absolute reality of the world? When you stare into absolute truth, the reality behind all things, what do you see? Is it darkness? Is it despair? Are we like hunted animals living on a borrowed world with borrowed time? It's only with that question in mind, that that backdrop, that the words of John chapter 1 verse 5 that we just read have such power. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And the heart of reality is not darkness, it is light. That's what Christmas tells us. And here's what we're going to see this morning. For the Christian, when we stare into the heart of reality, we are not filled with despair. We are filled with an ever-increasing hope and joy and life. Let's think about that. Two things we're going to see. First, God became man. Have a look at verse 14 if you've got those sheets in front of you. The Word became flesh 
and made his dwelling amongst us. Now, say, we're going to try and shorten things this morning, so we're just going to focus on three words uh, to start with here. The word became flesh. We've already seen who the word is. That was in verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The word is the eternal son of God. He has no beginning. He is God. He is the reality behind all reality. He is the absolute truth. And 2,000 years ago, this word became flesh, took on a human nature. And flesh isn't just a taking on of a physical body. You know, as if the word put on a, a physical body, just like we might put on a disguise. You know, to, to, to put on flesh, to become flesh, it means humanity in its fullness. A human mind, a human soul, a human will, human emotions. The word really did become a real human being. And now we come to our third word. We thought about the word, we thought about flesh, but now we come to our third word. Became. The word became flesh. Now we, we, we can go wrong here. That's why I just wanted to spend most time just thinking about the word became. Because if we don't get this right, then we misunderstand who Jesus is. Become means no stopping. So, so that is when the word became flesh, he didn't stop being the word. He didn't stop being God eternal, God infinite. When we think about becoming, it usually means something stops, doesn't it? So before your eyes, I am becoming an older man. My hair is thinning. The, the prescription on my glasses is increasing. You might hear me groan a little bit when I get up from my chair. I am becoming an older man, which means I must be stopping being a younger man. Painful to say it, but that is what's happening. <laughs> if you live in a white house and you paint it blue... Well, of course, at some point, it stops being a white house. To become a blue house, it has to stop being a white house. But that is not what become means here. When the Word became flesh, the Son of God didn't stop being God. He became human without stopping being God. Become means no stopping. The other thing about become, though, is that it means no mixing. That is, when the Word became flesh, the divine nature did not get poured into a giant mixing bowl with the human nature and all stirred together. Jesus is not a mixture of divinity and humanity. If you're having a, a Play-Doh session with children and you make the mistake of leaving them for a moment, then you know what happens. You get a Play-Doh disaster. So, so immediately they will grab the blue Play-Doh and they will grab the yellow Play-Doh and they will mix them together. You don't have to be gone go, go for long. Maybe 10, 15 seconds is enough. But when you come back, there is no more blue Play-Doh left. There is no more yellow Play-Doh left. But you do have a lot more green Play-Doh. If you mix the yellow and the blue, you lose both yellow and blue and you come up with a third thing, green. That is not what happens with Jesus. There is no Play-Doh disaster. Mix, uh, the, the, there is no mix of, of the human and the divine so that we end up with something which is neither human nor divine. When the Word became flesh, divinity did not mix 
with humanity. Became means no stopping and it means no mixing. The word became flesh in such a way that Jesus never stopped being divine and his divinity never mixed with his humanity. He was fully human and yet he remained fully God. The word became flesh. But you see what that means? It means that in the face of Jesus Christ, we behold divinity. We behold the one who stands behind reality. Listen to what John says next in verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. As we behold Jesus Christ, we see the glory of the one and only Son. We see absolute truth. And what do we see? In Cormac McCarthy's The Road, the Father steps outside and glimpses absolute truth of the world. And what does he see? Relentless darkness, the crushing black vacuum of the universe. When we look at Jesus, the eternal word becomes flesh, what do we see? Well, rest of verse 14, we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. Look at Jesus, behold the reality behind all reality, and you see someone who is full of truth. And at first we think, well, that's great, isn't it? There is truth at the heart of the universe. There is goodness, there is rightness, there is meaning, there is beauty. But on the other hand, that is also terrifying. Because you look at Jesus Christ and you hear the truth he proclaims and you think, yes, there is truth. Yes, there is a standard. There is rightness and wrongness. There is good and there is evil. But the more you look, the more you realise, I don't measure up to that standard. I have fallen short of that truth. Jesus says, love your neighbour as yourself. That is truth. And the more I hear and think and listen, the more I realise I've not loved my neighbour as my... I've not even loved my wife as I've loved myself. But what Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. And the more I hear and think and listen, the more I realise I've used my heart, my soul, my mind and my strength for my glory, for my self-promotion not for the love and joy and glory of the Lord. You see, behold the glory of Jesus, look into the heart of reality, and you see truth, you see a standard, and tragically, you don't measure up. And that is terrifying, isn't it? Maybe we are like the father and son in the road. Maybe we are living on a borrowed world on borrowed time. Maybe sooner or later we're going to be caught by the truth. Like a ship off course and heading for the rocks, sooner or later we are going to collide with the absolute truth of the universe. And we will be condemned because we have loved evil instead of good, loved the darkness instead of the light, loved lies instead of truth. We have seen his glory full of truth. Now if that's all we saw when we looked at the glory of the sun... When we look to Jesus Christ, the reality behind all reality, then like the Father and Son, we should despair. And I'm going to say this uh, with with no glee in my heart. 
But if we never come to Jesus with faith, wanting to build our lives upon him, then that is how we should see Jesus. With despair. If we never recognise his lordship over our lives, then one day we will be shipwrecked against the rocks of the truth that is Jesus Christ. But come to Jesus in faith and you see something else. Listen again to verse 14. We have seen his glory full of grace and truth. We see grace as well. Jesus Christ is full of grace, full of mercy and love and patience and kindness. See, the one who stands behind all reality entered into our world, the word became flesh, not first and foremost to condemn, but there will be a day of judgment, but instead first and foremost to offer grace and mercy. The word became flesh so that he could save us. And his grace overflows. Verse 16. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. It's kind of cascading grace. And this is wonderful because the more you behold Jesus Christ and you see and you hear the truth, the more convicted or condemned you might feel. But keep beholding Jesus Christ Keep looking and listening and you will discover grace upon grace. Mercy upon mercy. Forgiveness flowing into more forgiveness. With every new revelation of the darkness in your heart, you discover a new revelation of the grace that is in Jesus' heart. And that graciousness doesn't run out. Because, verse 16, it is out of his fullness that we have received grace upon grace. Now on Thursday when I was writing this, I was out and back, so I was kind of very reliant on batteries. And the thing with batteries is they deplete. They have a limit. I was listening to my headphones and suddenly a voice I'd never heard said, Battery's low. And then silence. Gone. And then I was using my phone to look something up and within a minute or two my phone went dead. Blank screen. And then I was writing on my laptop, it suddenly died. It said it had 48% left in its battery, and it lied, and then it died, and I lost what I had written. <laughs> Batteries do not have fullness. They deplete. They run down. But remember, Jesus is divine, infinite. In him is fullness. His graciousness and mercy never depletes. It never runs down. For all who believe, for all who come to Jesus in faith, there is grace upon grace. If you look into the heart of reality, what do you see? If you're a Christian, if your eyes are open to the Christmas story, you see God become man, Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. But secondly, much more briefly, you see something else as well. You see that God became man to bring us to God. Listen to verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus, the one and only Son, the one who is true God from true God, he is the one who makes the Father known to us. And he can do it because he is in the closest relationship with the Father. 
the eternal Son, has forever and always beheld and reflected the majesty and goodness and love and the essence of the Father. He is the Word of God. He alone is qualified to make the Father known to us. But why? Why does God become man and make God known? To bring us to God. Remember verse 12, we thought about this last week. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, here's the thing. Jesus Christ is not interested in making the Father known to us like we might know some celebrity. If you're a massive Tom Cruise fan or a massive Taylor Swift fan, I have heard of her, I do know who she is, but I wouldn't know much more. But if you're a massive fan of some celebrity, then you could probably find out pretty much everything about them, what they had for breakfast, where their favourite holiday destination is. You could even perhaps know them in some ways better than you know your own family. But on another level, you don't know them at all. You know them from a distance. That is not what Jesus Christ is interested in when it says that he made the Father known to us. He's not interested in us knowing the Father like we might know some celebrity from a distance, knowing facts and information about him. No, he wants more than that. He wants us to become like him. The Son of God becomes a man so that we might become the sons and daughters of God. Now we need to be careful because we, we aren't going to be made exactly like Jesus. He is the one and only Son of God. We, we are not going to become divine like Jesus. But there is much that we will share with Jesus' sonship. What he enjoys as the Son of God, there is much that we will enjoy of that. Perhaps most profoundly, later on in John's Gospel, in John chapter 17, Jesus says, May the world know that you have loved my people even as you have loved me. Just let that sink in for a moment. That we, by becoming sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ, might know something that the love of the Father has for the Son. Very profound, isn't it? See, here is the glory of Christmas. The eternal Son became like us, that we might become like Him, sons and daughters of the living God. Those who can experience and encounter something of the eternal and infinite love that the Father has for the Son through the Spirit. In the road, the Father and Son, the two characters, they are afraid of the absolute truth. They feel like they are running. They feel like they are hunted animals, fearing that one day they're going to be enveloped by the the bleak vacuum of reality. But for the Christian, as we look upon the absolute truth in Jesus Christ, it is the opposite. Our greatest hope, our greatest joy, the thing that chases away fear and despair, is that one day, the one who stands behind all reality will envelop us. That we will be brought into the eternal joy of the Father and the Son in the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 27 verse 4, David says these words that be on the screen. He says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? So that I might gaze on the beauty of the Lord. (laughs) To behold the beauty of the Lord, the absolute truth and goodness and beauty behind all reality, that is our joy, our life and our hope. Just as we finish, Sam Keyes shared a poem uh, last night on, on a WhatsApp group that I'm part of. And it's by the 19th century pastor and writer George MacDonald. He writes about beholding the God of all reality. And he puts this again on the screen. But when I turn and grasp the making hand, helpless no more. No more existence slave. In the heart of love's creating fire I stand. Here is our hope. Here is our longing. That we will be brought into the very heart of reality. Into the heart of love's creating fire. And the deepest longing of our hearts will be met. As we look upon the one who is absolute truth. God eternal. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. As we see life bursting forth with life, joy overflowing with joy, beauty cascading upon beauty. As we live and work and play and rest and build and talk and sing in the presence of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That is our hope. That is our longing. When you look into the heart of reality, what do you see? We are trusting in the Lord Jesus, and this is what we see. We see Jesus Christ, eternal Son, Word made flesh, full of truth and grace. We see the Father infinitely loving the Son, and the Son infinitely loving the Father in the Holy Spirit. And we see our future, our hope our joy, our life. Remember quiet when we're going to pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we cannot comprehend what we have tried to comprehend this morning. There are mysteries beyond which our minds cannot grasp. But we pray so much that, Father, what is true, what is, <clears throat> what is within reach of our understanding, please cement those things, not only in our minds, but in our hearts. That we, this Christmas, would grasp the enormity of what has happened. The Son of God became like us, that we might become like Him, with all of the joyful implications of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.